So we're in a, a series on prayer that we're calling Let Us Pray. Um, there is a Latin word, oramus, it means let us pray. And it basically instilled inside of this small word is two things, both an invitation to pray as well as instruction in how to pray. So the first two weeks of this series, we really focused in on that invitation, and we looked at both the power of prayer and the purpose of prayer, that the purpose of prayer is fellowship with God. He invites us in to this relationship that we have with him through Christ Jesus, but it's not just this one-time invitation, and then it's like, good luck the rest of your life. He wants a regular, ongoing relationship with us, and we see, we explored what this fellowship with God can look like. We also looked at the power of prayer. There's big promises that you find in the Bible about the power of prayer, literally that as we pray in the name of Jesus, that mountains can be moved into the seas, like these big, outrageous proclamations about prayer. And so we wrestled with these of what it looks like and what we really came to the conclusion is, is that our prayers are powerful because Jesus is the one that's powerful, not because our words are so intricate, not because we think them through well, not because as we read at the very beginning of the context of our passage tonight that we have many words that we kind of just bother God to, uh, to where he finally hears us and answers our prayers. No, our prayer is powerful because Jesus is powerful and he's the one that stands before God the Father and brings our prayers to him. We have access through him and he's what makes our prayers powerful. Two weeks ago, we looked at the very beginnings of the instruction of how to pray. So we looked at the address, our Father who is in heaven, this invitation for us to stop and to pause and think and reflect on this God that we're going to talk with, the relationship that we have with him, the things that he has done in order for us to have that relationship with him. We pause, we think, we reflect before we move into prayer. And then we looked at the first petition, which is your name be honored as holy. That we, we long for, that we pray that God would be worshiped as he deserves that that worship would consume not just us as a church, not just us as his people, but then it would filter out into our society and it would seep into the crevices of our world and that it would transform our cities, our neighborhoods, our country, and far beyond as we take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And then tonight, we're gonna look at the second and third petition, which are your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. All right, now here's kind of what I want us to think. Here's sort of like the framework for where we're headed, all right? These petitions, they are confrontations to many of the ideas that we have about Christianity, all right? They confront the idea that Christianity is just an afterlife faith and not an all of life faith, all right? So a lot of times, whether you, you think about it or not, there's ways that we function as if we just view this Christianity as an afterlife faith and not an all of life faith. And here's a couple of examples, all right? So the first one is this. You, if you've grown up in a, a church history, like you have a church background or not, here's some of the ways that we kind of lump these things into this afterlife faith rather than an all of life faith. The first one is this, once saved, always saved, Right? So if you grew up in a church, like you walked down the aisle, you prayed the prayer, and then you got your like get out of pass, out of hell, like because you prayed the prayer and you like proclaimed Jesus as Lord of your life. And then you just like, that's it. 
until you go and see Jesus face to face. Like the, this mentality that you can just passively live this life rather than actively stepping into a relationship with God is some of the ways that people function after they go and they walk the aisle and they pray the prayer. And it's almost as if they're like, even if it's just a cardboard box that I live in heaven, at least I got in because I prayed the prayer, I did the thing, and now I'm set and secure for forever. So that's one way. We kind of just view Christianity as this afterlife faith. It doesn't really matter for what I do here and now. It's just something that I've secured my destiny in Jesus. And even if it's a cardboard box, at least I get to spend eternity with him. The second way is, you've probably heard this phrase as well, that you're so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. You ever heard that? Anybody heard that? Um, so this mentality that you're just so focused on heaven that you're living like your head is in the clouds, that you have no earthly idea of what's going on around you because you're so fixated on heaven that you're no earthly good because you're so dominated by what is to come. Now, here's the problem with that is like, I guess you could kind of say you could be so fixated on heaven that you're no earthly good, that you're so pie in the sky, fixated on heaven, that you have no earthly idea of what's going on. I just haven't run across anybody that, that struggles with that. I haven't. Here's what one pastor says, and I, I agree with him. He probably put, he puts it in better words than me, so this is why I'm going to read it. It's a quote that should be on your screen. He says, yes, I know. It is possible to be so heavenly minded that we are of no earthly use. My problem is, and I agree with this, I've never met one of those people. And I suspect if I met one, the problem would not be that his mind is full of glories of heaven, but that his mind is empty and his mouth is full of platitudes. I agree with him. So this idea that Christianity is just this afterlife faith, but not an all-of-life faith, is confronted by the very two petitions that we're looking at tonight. And so here's, here's what I think, here's my hope for us as we're wrestling through these two petitions. One, that we catch a vision for how our faith in Christ is an all-of-life faith. And then two, that it affects the way that we pray. We have an all-of-life faith, and this all-of-life faith is to affect the way that we talk with our God, that we come and make requests to our God and as he hears us, he acts in everyday human life. So here's what we're going to do. I just want to look at these two petitions. I want to look at their meaning. I want to look at how we pray them. And then we'll close and take some time to pray with one another. Sound good? All right, so here we go. First petition is this. Your kingdom come. All right, first, or the, that's the second petition. First petition, your name be honored as holy. Second petition, your kingdom come. All right, so kingdom language is a bit foreign to us. All right, we've grown up in the United States. Most of us have grown up in the United States. So we've lived in a democratic society, meaning that the authority resides with the people, or at least that's what we like to say, amen. Um, so we live with this idea. We are the ones that get to elect our officials. We get to be the ones that put people in power. And so when we think about this kingdom language, here's some of the things that come to my mind. Maybe you resonate with it too. Is Disney theme parks, amen? When we think about kingdom, Disney theme parks, Magic Kingdom, right? That's probably what my kids think about because that's where we went in January. Second one is tabloid journalism. You have all the, the like English 
like traditional family stuff that's always popping up. It's more gossip than it is anything that we experience in a day-to-day life. Or Netflix, right? TV shows where we learn the history of these old monarchies, but we don't really experience them in everyday life. Well, in Jesus' time, this kingdom language, that this kingdom mentality of something that you encountered on a daily basis. So kingdom is a synonym for the, the words rule or authority, especially in Jesus' time. So when you woke up in Jesus' time, you literally felt the effects of a kingdom every single morning that you opened your eyes. So under the absolute rule of Caesar, you were reminded daily, here's some of the things that they would experience of your limited rights and freedoms. It costs a lot to have Roman citizenship for you to be a Roman citizen. And if you weren't a Roman citizen, you were just viewed as a lesser person. So you didn't have a right to trial if there was something that you were accused of. They could literally just kind of do what they wanted to you. Didn't have the right to go and stand up for yourself, to have someone that stood up for you. You literally just were viewed as a lesser of a person. You also experienced the financial burdens. There was taxes that would be placed on you. These were taxes that would come from the Roman government, but then they also would hire other people, some of your native-owned people that could go and charge you anything on top of it. And they almost had on a daily, regular basis this reminder that they were financially providing the oppression by which they lived under. And then lastly, were religious limitations. Like this Roman empire that came into your country, that took over your country, all their gods, all their worship would then infiltrate your society so that you could still have some of your former gods, some of your former ways of religious practices, but then these Roman practices would come in, infiltrate, and it would just completely disrupt the entire norms of how you would worship as a people, specifically Israel as the people of God. Jesus, as he would wake up, he had the constant reminder that he lived under the absolute rule of Caesar during this point in time. And so when Jesus instructs us to pray, God's kingdom come, he's speaking, he's making this instruction for us to pray under the idea, the mindset of this kingdom that means rule or reign, or authority. So when he says, your kingdom come, what he's issuing to us is this invitation to pray that we would step into life with God under the rule of God. That's his invitation as he's instructing us to pray, your kingdom come. God, your kingdom come. May we live with you under your rule in this world. That's what he's instructing us to pray. Now, for us to understand this petition, we need to kind of step back and have a fuller scope of kingdoms because there's both an outward and an inward reality when it comes to kingdoms, all right? So let's start with the outward reality first because there's just a lot to the scope of what kingdom, uh, the kingdom language throughout the Bible really has to say. So when we look at the, the teaching of the New Testament, we see that there's actually two opposing kingdoms that are taking place in this world right now. Even though we can't see it, Even though we only feel some of the lingering effects of it, there's two warring kingdoms at play here in this world. And what the Bible says is there's a kingdom of darkness and there's a kingdom of light. So you have a kingdom of of light. This is the kingdom of God and it's all that is good. 
It's all the things, it's the way that the world was originally created to function under the rule of God where his, his way of life is the one that all people follow and that's the way that you experience the good life with God here in this world, the kingdom of light. But then you also have the kingdom of darkness, which is the kingdom of Satan and all that is evil. And so before creation, Satan and his angels, they rejected God's rule. Satan was an angel. He was with God. There are also angels that were with him. They all rejected God's rule. And so God cast them out of his presence. And Satan became, at, this, at the moment in the Genesis chapter 3, he became the God of this age, the prince of the power of the air, when the fall, the first sin happened within the garden. Creation and humanity were infected by this kingdom of darkness, um, and it has this death grip on our world. You look throughout what Jesus says about this kingdom, you also feel the effects of it in our current world, and it's just this constant lingering thing. We, we, we struggle, we can't see it. There's not this physical castle. There's not this person with a crown that's sitting on a throne, but we feel the effects of this, y'all. We feel the effects of this kingdom all the time. We just prayed about two of those instances. This idea that there's school shootings that take place with little innocent kids that can't protect themselves that you have horrific reports in one of the largest religious denominations in our country, over 700 different accounts of evil, wicked things that have happened in the life of the church. These are things that you experience under the kingdom of darkness. These are things that we, we feel the effects of it. Even though we can't see this kingdom of darkness, you feel the effects of it. We especially felt it this past week. And so when Jesus prays your kingdom come, he's leading us to pray against this kingdom of darkness here in our world. As Christians, all right, as Christians, we, we believe that God has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and then transferred us into the kingdom of light. And as a response to that, there's like this way that as we are the salt and the light of the world, that as we are the light of the world, we expose this darkness in our world. We've, we've come and we've submitted to this light. And so light exposes the darkness. It exposes the things that's hidden in the darkness. And so as those that are the light of the world, we expose the darkness around us as we're the salt of the earth. We also preserve, right? Like we step in to the crevices and the brokenness of our world and we preserve the goodness that God has created within this world. And so as we do this, we're this new creation that's for, created for good works. We are people that step into this brokenness. He's made us the agents of his, of, of his love, the agents of his kingdom. We're the ambassadors that go and proclaim this good news about what Jesus has done by bringing this kingdom of light into this kingdom of darkness. And we know that this kingdom of light is going to dominate. It's going to overcome this kingdom of darkness. And so we're stepping in because we want to see this kingdom of light continue to be furthered here in this world. And so our chief work from what we see here, what Jesus is instructing us when he says that we are to pray your kingdom come, is that the chief purpose for us, the chief way that we step into this is our prayer. As the people that have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, the way that we really step into this war is we pray. We're the people that pray. 
that as we see things that happen in our society and our hearts are broken about it, we step into it and we bring these things that burden our hearts, that weigh heavy on our shoulders, and we come and we bring them to our Father. But here's the thing, as we bring things to our Father in heaven in prayer, oftentimes we're signing ourselves up to be the agents of change that step into that. That's why we're the, the, the light of the world. That's why we're the salt of the earth. As we pray about these things, he then empowers us to step in for his kingdom to be continue to advance in this world. So look, we, we, are, we are to pray your kingdom come so that we can see God's hand stretched out in the outward realities of things that are taking place in our world. But there's also an inward reality that I think Jesus is getting at here as well. All right, here's what I mean, all right? Dallas Willard says that each of us, this, Dallas Willard, he's, he's passed away about, within the last five years, Christian philosopher, says that each of us has our own kingdoms and queendoms, all right? So when God created us in this world, he created us in his image. And one of the ways that he created us in his image is that we were created with this mentality that God himself has to rule and express dominion over his creation, all right? So here's what Genesis 1.26 has to say. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So look, what this passage is telling us is that in likeness to him, God created us with this instinct to rule, to express dominion, to make things to cultivate things from the creation that God spoke into existence, to be fruitful and to multiply. And this was an entrusted dominion to us. God entrusted this dominion over his creation to us as a further expression of his rule over us as our creator. And just as Satan rejected God's rule, so did we in Genesis chapter three. See, we succumb to the lie that life is better under self-rule then God's rule, we believe that it would be better for us to have the authority to self-govern in this world, in this life that God has given us, rather than to live under the rule of God himself. And so we did this thinking that it would produce freedom, but what actually produced was this bondage and enslavement that we have not been able to get rid of since the very first moment of stepping into sin. And we can't look at Adam and Eve and be like, well, you ruined it for all of us, because look, all of us are no different. We were in Adam and Eve's shoes, we would have done the exact same thing. So this propensity to reject the rule of God has been infiltrated. This kingdom of darkness has been almost infected inside of us as well, that we kick, we rebel, we push against the rule of God in our very own life, and we see it play out all the time. We have this desire to build our own kingdoms and these own queendoms and we try to think and we try to move forward under our own self-rule. We try to function by our own sexual ethic. We try to function by who we should socially tolerate and who we shouldn't socially tolerate. We do this with even our own career choices where we just think and make decisions on our own and we don't think, we don't even begin to place ideas about God's rule over our life and how that affects even the way that we make career decisions. We try to build up 
We try to build these lives. We live for our own kingdoms and queendoms and not his. And we see the effects of it in our everyday life. So when Jesus prays your kingdom come, not only is he talking about us praying that God's kingdom would come at an outward sense, that his, his kingdom would come and that it would overcome the kingdom of darkness here in this world, but he's also praying, he's instructing us to pray against our own kingdoms and our own queendoms that we try to set up opposed against his rule over our life. So it's an invitation for us to come back to the original created order with the way that God created this world to function. For us to live with God under the rule of God. See, the beauty of this, this is the gospel of the kingdom. Jesus came proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. Repent and believe the good news because the kingdom of God is near. Jesus brought the kingdom of God with him as he entered into our world. And the good news of the gospel of the kingdom is that Jesus brings the kingdom of God to us. And when we believe and we trust in Jesus, he welcomes us in as full citizens to this kingdom of God that we cannot be plucked out of his hand, that we can never be removed. And he invites us into where we get to live with God as he originally created us to do. And we also get to walk with him under his rule in this life. And look, that's not just the afterlife promise, but that's an all of life faith that we get to live here and now. See, the beauty of the kingdom of God is that the kingdom of light has overcome the kingdom of darkness. We don't see it when it comes to the human sovereignty and the governments and the systems that we see at play here in this world. But the beauty of the kingdom of the light is that the kingdom of light has overcome the kingdom of darkness because Jesus in his death and resurrection, he paid for our sin and he conquered Satan's sin and death. And so we get to live in this kingdom here and now. We get to experience the ramifications that we are no longer under the bondage of Satan and sin. That we're gifted with the Holy Spirit. That we get to walk in light of the power of the Spirit that lives inside of us. And so that means we can take up the armor of God. That we can fight with the word of God. That we can fight arm in arm with brother and sister that are in and part of the kingdom of God with us against Satan and his, his minions in our own life, against the sin that feels so deeply entangled in our own soul. That we get to go to God in prayer. It's the offensive. We go in the offensive against the kingdom of darkness and we get to be the people of God. We get to pray and we get to see him stretch out his hand and we get to see him do things amongst us. He's the God of the living. He's not just seated, waiting for us to go about and do things. No, he's ready and he's willing and he's anticipating us to pray. And when we pray, he stretches out his hands and he does things because his kingdom is here. And look, he's... He's giving us the invitation. Not only do I want you to pray about the outward realities of the kingdom, my kingdom coming and affecting your society, I also want you to pray about your own life, your own kingdoms, your own queendoms that you're building up. I want to not only dominate, I not only want to rule all of the world and to bring my goodness about the world, I also want it for your own life specifically. He wants it to affect our family decisions. He wants it to affect our career decisions. He wants it to affect our relationship decisions. He wants it to affect our neighborhood decisions. He wants his kingdom, his rule over all the world and over our life to be so deep that his blessings are overpouring. 
So look, that's his invitation. Your kingdom come. Here's kind of like shortened, abbreviated abbreviated ways that you can pray this. Inwardly, God, further your rule in my life. God, I I see my sinful tendencies. God, I I see the ways that I'm prone to seek to live under my own self-governing rule. And I see the ways that's damaged my life. I see that the ways that it's just, rather than give me the freedom that I thought it was gonna bring, it's actually entangled me deeper in my own sin. Your ways are better than my ways, God, so would you rule my life? This is what Jesus is inviting us to pray. Then outwardly, God, further your rule in our world. God, I see the effects of the kingdom of darkness over around us. It feels heavy on me. So Lord, would you come and as the gospel is spread throughout our society, as it's spread throughout our country, as the gospel is taken to the ends of the earth, would you come and would you bring your rule? Would you affect our systems? Would you affect our society? Would we be the people that you've called us to be, that we step in, that we live in all of life faith? And so that means we go and we take our faith into our society and we're this positive means of advancing your kingdom here. Well, God, advance Rule our world. It's a missional prayer. We want to see God's kingdom furthered now in our life, in this world, but we also want to see his, come in its, his kingdom come in its fullness. God, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. It's an all-of-life prayer. Your kingdom come, not mine. Affect this world, affect my life, loosen the grips of evil, bring salvation to people. We want this, we pray this, that's why we, Jesus instructs us and we should step into it as a church. The third petition is also an all of life prayer. It says this, your will be done. So the second petition, your kingdom come, is the kingdom of God is the rule of God. We're praying that his rule would come for our life, that it would come for this world. The will of God is the plan of God. The will of God is the plan of God. Now this is the the first three petitions here. We see a sequential order that's taking place. So we need to understand this before we dive in. All right. So the third petition comes after the first one, your name be honored as holy. You be worshiped alone. May people know you and worship you, the beauty of the context of verses five through eight is Jesus is basically telling us, you come and pray to a God that's not this inanimate object that's off in space, but it's the living God who has a relationship with you. And so you don't need to come. You don't need to try to put on the pomp. You don't need to try to impress people. You get your reward if you do that. You have a God that knows everything about your life. And so he's standing here ready. He's ready to talk with you. You also don't need to be like the pagans of the world that come, they babble and they bring all these large words, they bring these rambling sentences and you're, it's almost as if you're talking to a person that you don't know. He's saying you don't have to do that. The Bible reveals who our God is so you can know this God that you come and speak with. You don't have to have these babbling words that are going on. You can come and speak to him because he's established a relationship with you. And we want the whole world to know about this God that he would be the means of worship for anyone that takes a next breath. Your name be honored as holy. 
And the second one, your kingdom come, about the rule of God, the sequential order. May your kingdom come be our daily encounter in our lives, not just my life specifically, but also this world. So worship and then bring about his kingdom and his rule. And then the third one, your will be done. Your plans, not mine. What you want, not what I want. It's a prayer for God to bend us to his plans rather than us trying to bend him to our own. Now, if we're to take our prayers and make an assessment of our prayers, like if you had them down on a, a sheet and you're kind of like had it on a checkboard and you're trying to look at your assessment of your own prayers, if we're really honest, it's probably what a lot of our prayers do look like, right? We're bringing God our prayers with the hopes that we can bend him to our will rather than coming to in prayer in order for our souls to be bent towards his, all right? James 4, 3 says this, you ask and don't receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. That cut me deep this week. I don't know if that hits you, how that hits you right now. It cut me deep this past week. Here's sort of like a, a comical example. Maybe you can see yourself in this example, all right? There was a little boy who really wanted a new bike, all right? So um, he grew up in the church, and so he knew that if you prayed, that God would give his children good things. And so he prayed to Jesus every night for this new bike. So the first night, he went and he prayed, if you get me a new bike, I will, I will never scream or yell again, right? The first night, he prays this, wakes up the next morning, no bike. Second night, if you get me a new bike, I'll be nice to my siblings forever, all right? Anybody pray that prayer? As a kid. So he prays this prayer, wakes up the next morning, no bike. Third night, if you get me a new bike, I'll do anything you want. Like he's getting a little desperate here, right? Like, I'll do anything you want. If you just give me the new bike, I'll do anything you want, God. Wakes up the next morning, no bike. So on the fourth night, the little boy was a little fed up that God wasn't answering his prayers, and so he took matters into his own hands. He took the statue of Mary from his next-door neighbor's yard and stuffed it in a closet and locked it, and he told Jesus, if you ever want to see your mother again, you better get me a new bike. <laughs> a little comical, but it's also an honest assessment of many of our prayers. We bribe God with what he wants so that we can get what we think we ultimately need. Maybe this are some of your prayers, right? If you give me the promotion, I promise that I'll use the additional money for your kingdom. But yet, you haven't trusted him with the little that you already have. If you give me the one, the unicorn one, I'll be sexually pure. As if it's just a switch to be flipped. If you bless us with a child, we'll raise that child to love you and fear you as if you can teach them to do something that you don't practice yourself. We ask for good things, but for our own purposes and try to persuade God with what we think he wants. And our prayers seek to bend God to our will rather than us going to God asking that he would bend our will, will to his. So look, your will be done is not only a request for God's plans over our plans. Here's the gospel redemptive part of this, all right? It's a prayer for God to transform us. It's a prayer where we come, we say, your will be done. 
your plans over my plans, what you want over I want, but it's a prayer for transformation. And we see this in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 2. You probably have heard these verses before. I'll read them just so we can get reacquainted with them. It says this, Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect what? Will of God. So look, the reason we don't pray your will be done is because we struggle to believe the truths and the realities of this passage, isn't it? We, we look and we see in verse one the mercies of God. And if you're like me, sometime you think, well, his mercies must run out. I, I, I probably went too far this last time. He's, it feels like he's had to forgive me for this singular sin in my life over and over and over again. And I'm coming and I'm bringing the same thing again. And surely his mercies are running out for me. Or you come where you read about his will that is good and pleasing and perfect. And you look at the struggles in your life. You look at the hardships and you're like, man, I don't know if it's as good. His plan for me is as good as the one that I have for myself. Like our, our culture disciples us. And so we think about the bigger homes. We think about the fuller schedules. We think about the, earth, the earthly luxuries. And it's like, I don't know if God's plans are better for me than that. These empty promises that we know when we get into these things ultimately don't fulfill us, but we continue to come back to them over and over and over again because we just don't know. At the heart of it, we don't truly pray your will be done because there's distrust that still grips, grips our souls. And this third petition is a prayer that God would transform and that he would renew our mind and our will. God, what your will be done, not my will. It's a, a prayer where you're coming and you're asking God, I, I want to believe that Romans chapter 12 is true that when I mess up, that your mercies are there. That whenever I come to you, that I know that I'm still gonna be embraced with your open arms. That you're not the God that's gonna reject me for the things that I, I continue to struggle with, but you're the God that's gonna stick with me and help me grow and put on the new life that Jesus has for me and you're gonna work with me through my struggles that I come to where I finally believe that your plans really are good, pleasing, and perfect. That the things that you have in store for my life are actually gonna be more fulfilling than the things and the dreams that I have for myself and the things that I've kind of taken from society and envisioned what my life could be like, that God, your will really is better. Even in the midst of sickness, even in the midst of suffering and pain, knowing that he's bringing about something that's actually good and eternal that takes place in my soul, not something that's just gonna, like when I pass away, I can't take with me. 
Look, our greatest example of this is Jesus himself. Because in the Garden of Gethsemane, under circumstances far more devastating than we ever could experience, Jesus prayed that the cup of the cross would pass. But what did he say, church? But not my will, your will be done. And when it seemed impossible to see the good in his coming death, Jesus trusted in God's goodness. He went forward. He went through with it because he knew, he trusted, he believed Romans 12 that God's good, pleasing, and perfect will was what was best for him. But look, it was also best for us. He knew the mission. And so look, because Jesus went forward and he's the ultimate example that we can follow in praying your will be done, Jesus, he was crucified on the cross. Yes, he died in our place. God turned his back on him so that we can never, he would not have our backs, he wouldn't turn his back on us. But look, what the beauty of the gospel is, what we see about Jesus' crucifixion and his resurrection is at this Jesus becoming the savior of the world, he was glorified. He's the one by whom every person comes to faith in God. A restored relationship with the Father himself only happens through Jesus. He's glorified. He's lifted up. He's seated at the right hand of God. He's been given the place that he's worthy of. He's glorified. But look, for us, it means our salvation at the hands of Jesus, going and being our example, and your will be done, not only did he get glory, but we also got relationship. He gave us everything. All of his perfection. All of his goodness. All of his Holy Spirit, who's come and dwelt inside of us. He's given it all. The blessings of heaven are ours. Because Jesus is our example, your will be done, not mine. So look, here's a couple of ways that you can pray this, all right? First, God, fulfill your plans for me, for my life. Don't give me my own. Fulfill your plans for my life, not mine. It's a hard, challenging prayer. But second one, God, fulfill your purposes in this world, not mine. The things that I think are best, scrap those. I pray for your will to be done in this world. You be the one that comes and brings about your goodness in this life and world. But then look, you're also praying this transformation. If it's really hard for you to come and to, stay, to say those things, that there's disbelief that's still gripping your soul. You come and you pray, conform my mind to the pattern of heaven and not this world, God. Renew me. I need renewal. I come to you because you're the only one that can do it. Move me to trust in you as in your will as good, pleasing, and perfect, and not the empty promises of this earth. God, change me. This is a struggle for me. You can be honest with him. You can come and you can bring these things to him. You can say, your will be done, not my own. I struggle with this, God. Change me. Renew me. It's hard, but it is life-changing, right? So the second and third petition. It's not just, our faith is not just an afterlife faith. It's an all-of-life faith. 
your, real, your rule in this world, God, in my life inwardly, outwardly as well. God, your will be done. Not my will. You know what's best. Change me. When I struggle to believe, change me. Now, as we're closing, here's just like one thing that I want us to wrestle with, all right? We're halfway through the Lord's prayer. And look, we haven't gotten to a single petition that's of human origin, right? They're all divine petitions. Your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come. Your will be done as, on earth as it is in heaven. All these are divine petitions. And I think what Jesus is trying to show us here is this one thing. And it's that God is the biggest, most deepest need that we have in this world and in this life. Before we even get to our physical needs, before we even get to our own relational issues, before we even get to our physical safety, all these things that we regularly come to God and pray about, Jesus brings three things specifically that are all about God and nothing about us. And he's pointing and he's showing us that it's actually God that's the most deepest and most important need that you have in your life. And so look, the Lord's Prayer is also an invitation. It's not just this instruction for us and how we are to pray. It's also an invitation for us to come and live in this relationship with a good and glorious God. Jesus, it's almost as if he's telling us like, look, God's inviting you back in. This life with God that you're created for under the rule of God, he's inviting you in. So come talk with him, come speak with him, come walk with him. He's ready with open arms to embrace you and to walk with you through this life. And such life is provided to you through his son. So look, whether it's the first time where it feels like the umpteenth time. You come back, you come into the Father's embrace and receive him through the divine petitions. Your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You're my deepest need, God. Let's do that now. Let's go ahead and pray.